Welcome back to Millennial Manhood, everybody. This is your host, Jovic Zdrojevic. And uh, as my podcast update said the other day, I'm finally back in the States and back to recording regularly and, and putting out episodes. So uh, welcome to the first Wednesday in a couple of weeks where we've got uh, a new topic and a new conversation. And I am very excited to have my guest with me today, my good buddy, Drew Davis. Drew, introduce yourself. Hey, uh, my name is Drew Davis. Uh, I've known Yavitsa for... Yes, going on three years now. Three very long years. Very long years. Uh, we worked together in uh, the financial world and uh, got out of that about uh, two years ago now and uh, just been working in building homes. Yeah, yeah. So, Drew, the reason I wanted to have him on the podcast is because, Drew, you've been one of the just more fun people to talk to on a regular basis because I hope it, I hope this conveys through the podcast. But seriously, folks, Drew's one of the funniest human beings you'll ever meet. So he's very entertaining. He's very smart. He, he likes to be informed, but he's also got a really fascinating life story and, and some particular key aspects of his life that um, have been a really, really big deal. And particularly what we're going to try to focus the podcast around today is um, dealing with the grief of, of losing your mother at a very young age and how that's impacted you and how you handled that. Um, and really the reconciliation of all those things through, throughout your lifetime, all the way through college and working in finance and now, you know, being a project manager in, in the construction world. So, you know, give, give the audience just a brief background on, you know, if, if you have to give somebody a Drew Davis one-on-one, give us a brief life story. Well, uh, I enjoy traveling and uh, hanging out with my wife. Um, I've been married for four years now. Our anniversary is coming up next month. And um, you like building homes? <laughs> I enjoy building homes. I'm I'm soon to be getting out of that. I uh, just received an offer for a purchasing manager position at Goodall, and I'm going to be doing that here in about a month, switching to a new role. Um, other than that. Uh, big family guy. Uh, I love going home and seeing my sister, my, my niece and my nephew, my brother-in-law. Um, and then just, uh, going home to see my family up in Northern Indiana. Yeah. Well, and, and I think that's, that's something we bonded over was the fact of how seriously we took our family responsibilities, especially you being the oldest and, or the oldest male in, in particular in your family, uh, kind of taking on that patriarch role, um, for a lot of your younger siblings and, and me being the oldest male in my family. Um, you know, go go back a little bit in time. Growing up in Indiana, in Indiana, the thriving metropolis, uh, which you come from. Um, you know, tell us a little bit in particular about those teenage years and 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 what really happened with your family and the fi- family dynamics and the responsibilities you took on when your mom got sick and, and eventually passed away. So, um, you know, I was young when uh, we first mi- found out my mom was diagnosed with cancer. Um, I honestly don't remember when they found out because they, you know, we were. I'm one of five, the second oldest. And uh, whenever they told us about it, you know, it was more of a soft thing. It wasn't like, you know, how serious the actual situation was. And uh, I was probably 14 years old, somewhere around there when when my parents actually told us that my mom had cancer. And uh, whenever uh, we talked about everything, uh, you know, they said she was sick, but, you know, there wasn't anything that, you know, with prayers and, and, the chemo treatments that she was getting ready to go through that she couldn't beat. And, um, whenever she started receiving her treatments, uh, she had positive results. And, um, around, 
uh, early 2007, they told her she was completely cancer free Hmm. and uh, that she had gone into remission. And then fast forward to uh, towards the end of the year, November, Thanksgiving time, 2007, we found out that uh, based on a screening that it had come back and that she was stage four terminal. Wow. And uh, at that point, they told us they didn't know, you know, how much longer she would have. And it was just kind of uh, like hitting a brick wall hearing, you know, hey, mom's cancer free to actually it's worse than it ever was. And, you know, it's the world's getting ready to change for you. Um, so that was our last holiday up in Fort Wayne with the rest of my family. And uh, we uh, we went through December. They were. Um, my mom had decided to not pursue any more chemo treatments and that she was just going to give it up to God and pray for a healing. And cause at that point there wasn't any help to, yeah, you know, she was to mm-hmm. so, uh, January, uh, I remember I went to, uh, get my, uh, learner's permit for driving and, uh, came home, told my mom, Hey, I, I got it. And, uh, I remember vividly she uh, she passed out and uh, my dad caught her and uh, he he screamed at me to call 911. And so he's holding her. He gets her over to the couch. Uh, I call 911. We get uh, our family priest, Father Tony, they uh, him and another family priest, a uh, friend of ours, Father Gary, came over and uh, they were all praying around her while the paramedics did what they could. Um, we f- After a few hours, we found out that what had happened was she was having a stroke mm. um, and uh, there was really nothing they could do for her then and there. Um, she came out of it, but uh, she had had severe uh, damage caused by the stroke. It impaired her uh, ability to speak so, and so cognitive stuff mm-hmm, and to move. So uh, that's when um, we had hospice start setting up everything inside of our house to make everything comfortable for her. And at that point she could still uh, communicate, but it was very muddled and and no one could really understand her, but uh, I could still talk to her and understand, you know, what she was saying and and everything. And it would never be much, but I remember that one of the last things that she ever told me was, you know, I, I hate that I'm such a burden but just know that I love you and that I want uh, you to take care of this family. Hmm. So um, after that, she really, I remember the hospice nurse came and they told us, you know, based on this signs, she's got a few more weeks left. And I was thinking, ah, they don't know. They don't, there's no way they can know. Yeah. And uh, February 14th, Valentine's day, 2008, she passed away while we were all sitting there with her and, you know, holding her hand and, uh, you know, I, it's hard for me to kind of recall back to that and think how everybody got there. But I remember it was her best friend. Um, it was all the the kids, all my siblings. And then uh, my dad was there. He had come home for work. So we were all there when she passed. Wow. So she passed away in the house? Yes. Yeah. Wow. What? So you were what, 15 at the time? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So I'm, I'm trying to think of 15-year-old Yavitsa. At, at that po- moment in time, um, what I was doing in my life and, and the things that I thought were difficult and to even imagine losing my mother uh, or my father at that age, I have no idea how 
you could even explain that to yourself. I mean, what's going through your head at that moment in time? It was for me, it was thinking about my younger siblings. Uh, I have three that are at that time, they would have been somewhere under the age of seven, the three of them. Uh, so there's a quite a bit, a bit of age difference between myself and them. Um, and my older sister, you know, she was, she was like our mom through the whole thing while we were, you know, my mom was sick. She made dinners and she took care of us. And that, that was her role. She, uh, whenever, um, I was there with my mom, uh, she would be taking the kids to Chuck E. Cheese or something like that, yeah. taking them, keeping them kind of out of way of this situation. But for me personally, it was thinking about what are we going to do for these three kids that didn't even get to know her? Yeah. Uh, what's going to happen with my dad who, uh, you know, he's, he's trying to be strong, but he's got five, you know, young children that he's got to figure out a way to raise and take care of by himself. Yeah. So I was more thinking about, you know, what's, what's going to happen and how, how am I going to be able to help out in this? And what was the specific sentence your mom said to you? What was the last thing she said again? She said one that she, you know, she didn't want, she was sorry that she was a burden. Mm-hmm. And I, I let her know that she, that wasn't the case at all, because obviously taking care of your mom is not yeah. ever a burden. But uh, she said to take care of the family and make sure everyone stays together. What did that mean to you? And what does that mean to you? So what did that mean to you? That specific last set of words that take care of the family and make sure everybody stays together together. What did that mean to you at 15? And what does that mean to you today? At You know, what are you 25, uh, 26, 26. Yeah. Uh, it, at the time, 15 year old drew thought, you know, what, what's going to happen to the family. The only thing that's bad that's going to happen to this family is what's happening right now. It's not going to get any worse than this. You know, we've got, you know, we're, you know, we've got, our, you know, five young kids and, and my dad and stuff, we'll, we'll figure it out. We're not going to break apart. We're, we're all together in this situation. You know, the only thing that matters is what's going to happen with you. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it was, I, I didn't take it that seriously at the time thinking, you know, that's something that you say when you're worried about, you know, your responsibility of your children. What's, you know, if, when you leave them, they've got to stick together. And then, you know, 2018 drew, thinks, Oh my God, you know, I, I need to, you know, I, I, there was a lot that happened over the last, you know, 10 years where I have had to take on that, you know, helping siblings if they got into their teenage years and they get into college and and they don't have her influence anymore. Um, Stuff with my dad where he's, you know, uh, no longer, you know, in the picture, he, he suffered such like an emotional breakdown following that, that, he basically severed all kids from his life and then, uh, you know, just kind of bonding together with my older sister and figuring out how we were going to keep as much of the family together as we could. Yeah. It's funny what you said about, well, it's not funny. It's just kind of ironic when we look back at our past and we say, Hey, 15 year old me versus whatever year old me, where you said, Oh my gosh, the things that have happened over the last 10 years. And that's, that's actually a question I like to ask in a professional sense. My clients, it's like, all right, how old are you? 35. Great. What's gone according to plan up to this point. And they always laugh and say nothing. I'm like, all right, well, what do you think the next 30 years look like in the next 40, 50 years? And I think that's a good character building, um, you know, exercise where we can think through our life and think back like, oh man, how did I handle this versus how did I handle that? So, I mean, you were almost completely on your own at 18, right? Or you were on your own completely at 18. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, so, uh, you know, the following 
year after my mom passed away, you know, my dad had people, uh, you know, tell him, you know, whatever it takes, you know, Michelle Davis, I, I, I will do whatever for her children and her husband because she did this for me, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, he, not unlike myself is kind of just, uh, he blocked that kind of stuff out cause he's, he's self-reliant. He doesn't, yep. you know, he doesn't need people step in. We're going to be, uh, we're going to be okay. But uh, my grandma offered to come down and live with us. Um, all these people were just seeing any way they could to help out with the family. And he said, you know, no, we'll be fine. We'll be fine. And, uh, you know, I can think of in the first one, two months, uh, you know, it was, he was depressed a lot and mm-hmm. I was just kind of withdrawn. I, uh, my sister and I, my older sister and I, we would, you know, we'd hang out with friends and we tried to not dwell on it too much. Mm-hmm. We, we escaped from it, but my dad, he was stuck in it. He yeah. had three younger kids that didn't have a mom and, and two older kids who weren't as helpful as probably what we should have been. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, four five, six months later, you know, he started to uh, get really lonely and, uh, I just kind of, I think personally, I probably ignored that selfish teenage Drew was like, you know, I don't, you know, it's, I'm, I'm dealing with the same stuff. I can't, I couldn't relate. Um, and then, uh, you know, one day, uh, my sister and I go out and uh, we come home and the siblings tell us, Hey, uh, you know, uh, dad's friend came over and we're like, Oh, dad's friend came over. We're getting all this information from them. What happened? And, uh, you know, lo and behold, my dad had started a online dating profile and, and he'd gone out with someone and, mm-hmm. uh, they, uh, that Christmas she's with us, you know, she comes up to our family event and, uh, you know, not too long after that, just things started to change. She, uh, uh I don't think she was very interested in having teenage uh, kids. kids in her house. And, uh, for me, just thinking about, again, my three younger siblings, uh, my dad said, uh, Hey, how do you feel about her moving in with us? And I remember me and my sister sitting there. We we're kind of like, well, what what opinion can we have? You're the dad, but I said, you know, I don't think mom would want her sleeping in your bedroom or something mm. like that. I, I was like, I, I think that that would probably be confusing. I was like, so I guess if she lived here, that's fine. But as long as you guys aren't in the same room, then it won't get too confusing. And um, you know, that led to some animosity after mm. that because they tried that for a little while and it, it didn't work out. And uh, the following July, um, he, uh, he came to me and he said, uh, you know, he started making things harder and harder in our lives. He said, Oh, you got to work 40 hours a week. You've got a, you know, as a 16 year old, mm-hmm, a 17, Seven? 17 year old at the time. Was He's he expecting like, you to go to school as well? Yeah. Yeah. When and the so, hell do you do 40 hours a week when you're going to school for seven hours a day? I was, uh, I was washing dishes at a restaurant in Evansville and my sister was uh, working there too as uh, uh, back of the kitchen help. And uh, they were only giving us 30 hours. And he said, listen, you can, you can like my rules you, or you can, uh, he said, no cell phone, uh, 40 hours a week. And that's what it takes to live under my roof. Or you can get the hell out of here. And hmm. uh, he wrote it down on a contract for me. He said, you can work 40 hours a week, give up your cell phone, don't go out anymore, finish up school, or you can get the hell out. And, uh, I, uh, I went downstairs in our basement. That was like my sister and my getaway. Um, and we were trying to figure out what we we're going to do. Um, he had taken away both of our cell phones and, uh, we were, uh, talking to a family friend saying, Hey, I, I don't know. This is getting really rough here. Really aggressive. He had started drinking a lot. Um, mm. just very belligerent, you know, 
completely gone. He wasn't the same guy anymore. And um, at that point in time, we just decided, hey, you know, we need to get out of here. So I went and uh, I got a go phone and I uh, contacted some family friends. I said, hey, we, you know, stuff's getting rough here. I, I want to get out of the situation, whatever it takes. He gave me the option. So I need to go. Um, so uh, one night we packed up two trash bags and waited down in the basement. They pulled up, we went out and we left. Uh, the next morning, uh, you know, we were, we said, okay, well maybe this is a temporary thing. Maybe it's just, we're button heads because of the situation, new stepmom, stuff like that. It'll get worked out. Um, that next day, you know, uh, I went to the bank and, uh, got my remaining couple hundred dollars out to figure out what we were going to do. And, uh, got a call from him at 9am. He already knew he was planning on taking all the money out of our account. Mm. And, uh, you know, he was very frustrated that we, had taken that route and, uh, we were trying to make it on our own. Um, but going from there, we, uh, we lived at that friend's house for exactly one month, got our own apartment. And, uh, I, uh, I got signed up at a new school that was right down the street from that uh, apartment. My sister who, uh, decided she was just going to go get her GED and just work full time. Was she 18 at the time? Yeah. She's, she's 18 months older than me. Okay. Um, so she would have been, I guess, 19 officially when we moved out. But, um, we, uh, we went, we got our, uh, apartment, we got everything set up. I started at a new school. She got a new job at a restaurant and uh, I started working 40 hours a week at McDonald's. And, uh, I did that and uh, we had one car that we took with us that was uh, given to us by a great grandmother. We split it. Uh, she would drive to hers or walk to hers. Most days she'd walk to her job. I'd walk to school and then I'd take the car to work. And we just, as a team worked it out and, uh, we stayed together for a year. And then I went to college at USI. She was going to a, a community college called Ivy tech okay. and uh, going to become an EMT. And, um, yeah, uh, I, uh, Wow. Well, so that's a lot to unpack right there. And you want to talk about grief and you want to talk about complexity and, and family dynamic. And your mom was not kidding. I mean, she must have had some sort of feeling around the fact that, look, I don't know either one of your parents, but just from hearing your side of the story, and I know there's always multiple sides of the story, but just from hearing your side of the story, it sounds like your mom was probably the emotional rock of the family. Absolutely. That held everything together. And on her deathbed that she had the energy to say and the foresight to know like, hey, with me gone, I think some of these things may happen. She might not have been able to articulate specifically what happened. But, um, I mean, you mentioned being shutting yourself off after after she passed away. What do you mean by shutting yourself off? I mean, what what, what happened? When I look back on it now and I, I – I reflect a lot on whenever I have a situation or if I lose a friend or something like that, I was like, what, what did I do? You know what I mean? This is 50, 50. I did something to cause that. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I think about how everything went and I look for where I could have done a better job, um, I think about, um, you know, I was going out and I was hanging out with friends and that's how I coped mm-hmm. basically by not thinking about, you know, my mom passed away, poor me, you know what I mean? I, I just focused on, getting out of the house and and not being, not sitting in that, you know, I, I would go out and hang out with friends. We'd go to, you know, holiday world, something like that, or, or go out to our youth group. And I just, you know, if my dad was upset, um, I tried not to notice hmm. he, uh, he'd go sit by himself on the back porch, 
drink a box of wine and uh, just kind of drown himself out. Yeah. And then three younger siblings, as long as they were, you know, taken care of, they had dinner and stuff like that. I didn't, you know, they're fine. Um, But for me, I was, I think I was probably, if I could go back, the one thing I would change is I would be there with him. I'd go out on the back porch with him. I'd, I'd see, you know, what I could do to talk to him and help not be so lonely. Well, do you feel like maybe his alcoholism could have been curbed if if you had taken that proactive approach a little bit I'm, more? I'm not sure. I don't know because he, you know, he, my dad always drank a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, that's nothing new. He did that my entire life, but it was different. It was it was a coping, yeah. rather than a you know relaxing or yeah. And so it just took on a whole new thing for him, and he isolated himself, and it got worse and worse. Um, and I th- I would think that if I was there to step in and you know, you can't expect that really of a teenager, I guess. But if I would have been there for him more, I think that that's where I see where I could have been better at that and helped out my, maybe my sister too. We could have been there for him more. Did you feel a sense of regret or responsibility looking back at it over the years? Yeah. And when I look at at it now, um, I think that maybe four or five years, I didn't think, you know, I was just like, I would think to myself, oh, that's him. Mm -hmm. You know, it's still him. It's him. It's him. It's him. But, uh, you know, the last three, four years, I thought, you know, that's not all him. You know, mm-hmm. he, he lost his wife. I, you know, that's something I can't imagine what that's like. You know, I can think about what it would like be like if I lost my wife and, you know, going through what I've been through, I know that, you know, I wouldn't react the same, Yeah. but had I not been through that, I don't know that I wouldn't shut down and, and isolate myself and, and cut off outside help and stuff like that. I think I can do it myself. Yeah. Um, but I'd like to think that if I could go back, that would be something I'd change. And it is something I regret. Well, and even my dad has told me this before, you know, when you're, when you're married and I know your wife is pregnant right now, so you'll experience this soon. And I don't know if you've already started to experience this, but I don't have kids, but my dad said that before you have children, your wife is your wife. After you have children, she is the mother of your children. I mean, it is a completely next level type of, um, feeling towards her, at least in his words. Um, so, you know, I think a lot of times we can get wrapped up in what our feelings and thoughts are and uh, not to minimize your, your grief or loss, but it must've been traumatizing to him. Yeah. I, I like to think about it the same way, just like what you said with your dad. I mean, I, I think about it as, you know, even only being pregnant right now, uh, not even having the kid around, I think about, you know, like, oh, she's an amazing human being. And, you know, that relationship with her comes first before anything. And I can't, my world would be rocked without her. So I can imagine how losing my mom, especially the circumstance and at such a young age that that would cause you to do something like that. And I know that whenever people ask me, it's like, oh, well, you're, you're such a nice guy. You know, what? how can you can't have a relationship with your dad? It's, they, they like to think, what's wrong with him? And I was like, oh, you don't know. You haven't been there. You haven't yeah. seen that side of it. And I can, I can not relate, but I can understand what caused the situation to get where it's at now. Yeah. Well, and it's, um, I mean, there's just so many different factors that, that play into our, our individual relationships with each other. And I think that a even harder part is the fact that she was told she was cancer free and, that gives you that false hope almost and then you're excited about it and then it all you know goes downhill from there um but the fact that you guys went and got your own apartment 
and lived on your own. And I mean, it, that's mind boggling to me. Were you guys emancipated? I mean, did she adopt you? Like, how were you a 17 year old Drew just hanging out on your own, working at McDonald's, slinging burgers? State of Indiana uh, to be legally emancipated. And we looked into that would have been uh, you'd had to go to court and I would have had to you know, have a situation with him showing up and signing off rights. Uh, They don't let you do that. Um, But educationally, I was emancipated. um, So that meant, you know, I was able to get uh, some financial aid for my college, not a ton, but enough that uh, I could at least get into college. And then just the network of people who, the same people who offered to help out my family were the same people that were there for me whenever, uh, you know, they were like, Hey, Drew, you know, to make sure to get your college apps in. And so I was doing that. Uh, I was leaning on parents and friends and they were all kind of directing me, you know, where I needed to be. But yeah, 17 year old, 18 year old Drew, uh, you know, I was eating frozen chicken patties and, uh, one of those 99 cent rices every night. Uh, I was as thin as I've ever been in my entire life. I was about to say, you must've just been Rail thin. Yep. And then, uh, well, I don't know. I don't think I've ever been rail thin. I wish, <laughs> but I, uh, I was working at McDonald's, so I still had, uh, some greasy sustenance to some greasy sustenance, get. just like all American diet. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I was, when I look back on it, I don't think of it as being something that was incredibly hard because I relate it back to being, like a parent to my three younger siblings. And, and when you think about that and three younger kids and taking care of them and, you know, uh, getting to bed and all that stuff, uh, it's like being out on my own was easy mm-hmm. going to McDonald's and then going to school wasn't a hard thing. Um, but I think, you know, uh, living with my sister, we, you know, we butted heads and stuff like that. And after about a year of it, we, uh, we decided, you know, Hey, I'm going to go live on campus and go to USI and, and you do what you do. Did you assign the same city? Yep. Yeah. Okay. They're in Evansville. And uh Thriving Metropolis. Thriving. <laughs> Holiday World. Triple A hockey team. Yeah. Just killing it. By the way, Holiday World, I've never been, but I've heard it's incredible. If you want to sponsor the podcast, just a uh, millennial manhood CIP at Gmail. <laughs> it cooks. Um, yeah, we uh so I was going to USI and uh I basically, you know, not talked to my sister in a while. Yeah. Obviously didn't talk to my dad. Uh, but I still talked to the rest of my family up in Fort Wayne, uh, kept in touch with them. And uh, I started dating, uh, my wife and, uh, you know, I was freshman in college. And then after I think the first semester, I reached out to my sister one day, I was like, Hey, you, you should come out here. You should meet my girlfriend. You should come out to campus. And then, uh, that following year she signed up at USI. And I think that that one year away from each other, uh, we, when we got back together, I don't know any siblings that have a tighter bond than what we have. Yeah. Uh, we talk pretty much on a daily basis and uh, we do everything together. And uh, so that after college, uh, I mean, I, uh, I decided uh, based on my wife's passion of pursuing music, we uh, decided to move down to Nashville. And so I had to find a job and uh, that's how we met. Yeah. You, your wife and everybody else in Nashville. Absolutely. Except for me, I podcast. <laughs> Most people don't know, but when you meet Yavitsa, it's not a choice. It's a, it's an obligation. It's an experience. He, he imposes himself upon you and you are friends and there's no other option in the matter. Or we're not friends and I just ignore you for a couple of years. Fact. Okay. Hey, a couple of people we can, we can name. And then eventually I'm like, yeah, come on. You're cool enough. Um, that just made me sound like a complete jerk. <laughs> so, so obviously, you know, life throws you some curveballs. At fourteen, fifteen, you're learning all these things. You're you're trying to figure it out. Um, 
You know, one of the things that I can semi relate to. So, and my wife and I were talking about this a couple of months back, but I had a really good friend of mine die a couple of years ago in a car wreck. And, uh, the, for the first time in my life, because everybody else that had passed away that was close to me, I was younger. This was the first person, um, that had passed away and I was an adult. I guess my gra- my last grandmother that passed away, I was 21, but we knew she was going to die. Like it had been, she was in a, a nursing home. I mean, it had been a couple of years. She had been deteriorating. So I had, I had time to emotionally prepare myself. But with him, it was unfortunately a car accident. And I remember Tamara and I just talking and saying, I'm just sad. Like I, I can't explain it, but I'm just sad. Um, it's like this cloud is just looming over you and you you can't get rid of it no matter what's going on. And that went on for several months until we both kind of came out of it. But, and I've never, I've never experienced depression, but that's my idea of what probably depression feels like. Just this constant sadness. Did you experience anything like that? Yeah. And I don't think that um, for me, it ever came in, in like, you know, days at a time. I think for me, it's, it's trigger events. Uh, obviously I told you she passed away on Valentine's day. So every Valentine's day for me yeah. is difficult, you yeah. know, cause since that situation, I've always had, you know, my wife there. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's kind of like, uh, my mornings are my solemn time to, you know, kind of think about my mom and all that stuff. And then all always every year on her birthday, November 16th, it's a rough day for me. Mm-hmm. Um, those are the two days a year that even my sister will agree. We, uh, you put on some sad songs when you drive into work and then you just like get yourself together that last five yeah, minutes. Yeah. You're like, okay, I'm good. Yeah. I got this. I got this. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's, um, and grief is such a, a weird concept too, because, you know, we, we've got our belief systems and, and everybody's got their own system and, uh, you know, you're a religious individual. So you believe in, in there's something past this life. Um, and so do I. And, um, and even, you know, the most fervent atheist that I've met would say, well, I don't really know what happens afterwards. Um, but the fact that we can't see, feel, or touch that afterlife still makes it feel so permanent. Hmm. Um, and and the way it's been described to, by my parents, so when they talk, when they've talked to me about losing their parents, and granted, they were both when they're when each of their parents when each of my grandparents passed away, my parents were either in their like late thirties or like mid forties, so they've had very different than being fifteen. But they have described it as you lose that last shield of protection you have in your life. Um, you know, as long as your parents are alive, even if you're taking care of them, you still feel like they can protect you and they'll have your back. And once they're gone, you are really on your own. Is is that something you felt? Yeah, I think that if you look up, you know, top five stressful things in a person's life, number one or top five are definitely going to be losing your parent, your spouse or a child. Mm-hmm. Those are all in there. And uh it, it's something that's difficult to, uh, to deal with. But, um, I think that, like you said, when you have kind of that faith to lean back on, you know, that they're in a better place and it's, it's more dealing with you and, and you know, what your emotions are. And so that's why for me, I, it doesn't last ever for too long. It's just a one day thing where I think of, you know, ah, I wonder what mom would think about, you know, what I'm yeah. doing right now yeah, and where I'm at and what she would want for me. And, you know, uh, you know, oh God, she'd love to meet, you know, her new grandchild and stuff yeah. like that. So that's, those are the things that I allow myself to think about from time to time, get that, you know, get through that and then move on. Cause I know that 
overall it's, you know, she's, she's much better off now and she's not even thinking about the, the little sadnesses of, you know, her passing cause she's much onto a better place. Yeah. Well, and thinking of all the other stresses in your life that, that have occurred. So, you know, one of the things we talked about before we started recording was you losing your job a couple of years ago and having to find a new job. And I remember you telling me this and I hope Dan doesn't hate the fact that I'm going to tell the story because I don't know if she knows it or not. But I remember you telling me uh, when you lost your job, you went back to your wife and you said, no worries, babe, I'll figure this out. I got, and you just played it off real cool. But on the inside, you were like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? What am I gonna do? <laughs> just freaking out. Mm-hmm. So how how did, and obviously now you've got a great career, not, not a job, but a career, something you love and something you're damn good at. But what how did the trauma and the stress of all those experiences through your teenage years and, and up to that point help you deal with, with the trauma and the stress of that? Because for a lot of people, that would be the number one thing they've experienced in their life. That's, that's catastrophic. Um, what, what was that? What was that process like? Well, I think the, the main issue with that situation is that I asked for it. I, uh, I went and, uh, it was, I remember it was my birthday, uh, 2016. And, uh, we had this, um, uh, I call it a holy site that my family always used to go to. Um, and uh, at this place, there's a place called the Blessing Point, and you put whatever you know is burdening you at that time. And I, I wrote down on a little note. I said, uh, you know, can I get some help with my job? <laughs> and I said, oh man, I just this is not for me. Folded up the note, put it in the basket. I got home. Is uh, I think it was that Monday, so whatever date that fell on. And I, uh, I went in, and uh, boss called me into his office and said, hey man. Uh, just want to talk to you. Do you think this is your long-term plan? And uh, whatever just hit me in that moment, it's like, this is crazy coincidence, but no, I don't, okay. I don't think this is where I'm meant to be. He goes, all right, well then I'm going to give you uh, a month of salary to go figure out what you want to do. And you need to go do that. Cause it's obvious that you're, you know, while you're doing everything you need to do that, you're not passionate about what you're doing right now. And I want you to go do what you're passionate about. And so I left that office and uh, walked into my office, <laughs> had trouble breathing and heart palpitations. And I, I ran over to your office on the other corner and I said, oh, man, <laughs> I I got, you looked like you saw a ghost. I was like, what the hell just happened? I got everything that I asked for and I didn't get a lot of time to deal with it because it was like, well, you can just go home today. Uh, I remember I went to the parking garage, called, called my wife and told her what had happened. And like you said, I. I always try to keep it cool as a cucumber with her. <laughs> no, no big deal, babe. I got a month. It'll be good. Um, and I had already been looking for probably the last eight months. Yeah. Every day, whenever I had free time, I was on Indeed and I was pumping out resumes. Yeah. Uh, another possible sponsor for your podcast if they get around to it. But um, <laughs> yeah. I, uh, uh, it was it was a weird relief, but also a huge panic. But uh, I couldn't even realize until I was really in it. Uh, one week went by, two week went by, you know, I was, I was starting to freak out. I was like, Oh my God. It's, I yeah. was, I started to lose some of that coolness. And I would tell her, you know, I don't, I don't know. We might have to move back home. I was like, because I don't, if I can't find a job, I was like, we're not going to cut it. And oh, you uh, could have always Uber. Don't give me that crap. <laughs> There's a Uber application out there with my name on it. And they wondered why I never started. Really? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I, uh, you could have so- floated yourself with that possibly I, you could have easily because she was she was working right yeah but we, at the time you know she was making like nine dollars an hour and we had a thousand dollar a month apartment and it was uh yeah it was still kind of staggering even thinking about getting around with a shoddy you know 
2001 Camry trying to get Uber. <laughs> I forgot about the Camry. With a dented door and missing window. I mean, they, they don't cut corners on their quality. So I, um, I, I put out applications, I, I would say at least 20 every day. I wow. re- reworked uh, my resume every day and I reworked um, my cover letters and I was pumping them out to absolutely every place in Nashville. And then I, I remember looking at the Tennessee and I looked for the top 100 jobs and uh, I just thought, you know what? I probably applied to three fourths of them because the other quarter didn't apply to me mm-hmm. at all. And so uh put him out to that and I got one call back and it was uh good all homes. And oh, wow. uh I uh I went in for an interview and uh you know just it, no, it like you said dealing with the stress of one while I was still on payroll and technically employed. Um I uh I still was thinking, you know, that's going to run out very yeah. quickly. This is the most important interview of my entire life. Yeah, it's two paychecks. Yeah, because we're, yeah, we're not going to be able to make it with uh, her $9 an hour, and we're going to have to move home, and that's going to be on me for crushing that dream. And um, they're not paying a lot of money for gigs for you to go play in Nashville. They're not paying at all. <laughs> you here. might have to pay to play a gig. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I went in that in- interview, and I- I've never prepared uh, more thoroughly for an interview, and I remember thinking uh, – uh, I got to nail this. And I got to the lobby and a uh, person sitting across from me said, uh, Oh, I, uh, I know three people that work here. And they said, I got the job. So I'm pretty, pretty stoked. And I was like, Oh, really? That's, that's great for you. <laughs> <laughs> but what does that mean for me? Yeah. And, uh, you know, flash forward uh, a month later, uh, they gave me a call and just one heavy fist pump. And, uh, I was like, got this, but yeah, like you were saying, dealing with losing my mom overall, you know, helps you to think, you know, this isn't that I'm not losing my wife. I'm not, yeah. you know, I'm not losing my mom again. You know, this, this one way or another, you know, you're going to get through it. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't, it still doesn't uh, make everything better when you got, you know, there's a lot of pressure on your shoulders, but it definitely does uh, put things into perspective. Yeah. Well, and I think that's the key thing that we we've lost in our society in a lot of ways is perspective. Cause I can almost guarantee you not knowing anything about your college experience when you got there as a freshman, you probably looked at a lot of the people around you and thought, oh, my gosh, you people are so immature. You have never been through anything, yeah. which most people I mean, most people live relatively cushy lives, give or take, if they're a freshman in college somewhere. So um, you've got your exceptions, but you are the exception. You're not the rule. You, you've had some very traumatic things that have happened um, and, and that made you mature quicker and that made you figure some things out quicker. Um and, and, and I think that's key when we look at, you know, even the purpose of this podcast, the, the point of it is, you know, to cultivate the conversation to help young men get better. And and before this, I told you, hey, speak from the heart, because if there's even one person out there listening who may be going through something traumatic from a from a grief or from a loss standpoint, and you can help them and know that they're not alone, that does the job. Um, and and that's that's really the point of all this. Yeah. And it- sort of, you know, piggybacking off what you said. Um, for me, you know, when I think about my situation what I've been through, I, I never look back on it and think, you know, oh, that was uh, as hard or harder than the most difficult thing that ever happened to you. That was my difficult. Mm-hmm. And whatever it is that is your your thing that you're dealing with in life, you mm-hmm. know, it, it, for some people, and I, I run into this all the time, uh, you know, somebody loses a, a, a pet or something like that. You know, it's hard sometimes for me to relate. Mm-hmm. But that's that's their thing, and it's hard for them to get by. Um, and uh, 
definitely going through the situation and being 10 years removed from it, I can appreciate better when people are dealing with, you know, the rough, the, just the absolute bottom of their, you know, being and uh, just being depressed, like you said, and being able to, you know, bounce back from it. And, and that's the one thing, like, I like to just encourage people. I was like, it's, it's going to get better. Yeah. You know, even when my wife has something, you know, that's at work, it's like, I, you know, I, I try not to be too insensitive, but when I think about it, I'm just like, you know, it's, it's been worse. It's going to get better. It's always going to get better. Yeah. You can't give up that hope and yeah. you just got to always keep pushing through and you can't just let it be a roadblock for you. You got to just hurdle over it. Yeah. Well, let me ask you a, a question that's kind of a, a transition to something else, but just personally, why did you agree to come on this podcast? Oh, I felt obligated out of friendship to be on this podcast. <laughs> Outside of that. <laughs> no, I, I think that kind of like I was just saying, I, I think that a lot of what I've noticed from young men like ourselves is that, you know, they'll, they'll find something uh, like, uh, oh, they're working a dead end job. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I maybe didn't go to school and I'm a mechanic and I, I, I think that well, I, I'm never going to get any better than where I'm at right now. And then years go by mm-hmm. and I, I look at the people that I went to high school with and, and maybe they, they got into something and then they just never moved on from it. I was like, I just want people to know you can move on yeah. at any time. You can move on tomorrow. You can always improve yourself and change who you've been and, you know, reflect on that and just be better than that. Yeah. Um, so that's probably the biggest thing for me is I want, guys out there that are, you know, in a dead end job or in a dead end relationship or have problems with family members or whatever to know that just keep giving it your all, just keep pushing because even, you know, there's, there's been situations where I've reached out to my dad and, uh, you know, we've, we've talked again, we've done things again. We've been to world series game again. We've done, we've done fatherly things. Uh, and then it's fallen away again. Hmm. And I don't, I don't hold anything against them. I love my dad. I love him forever. Uh, and I will keep working on that situation. Even if that situation requires that, you know, I give him distance right now, cause that's what he needs. Hmm. Whatever that is for you in your life, uh, you know, just keep working at it. Don't give up. Don't accept that this is where you're going to be five, 10, 20 years later. Well, I think that's also a typically asked folks, what would you give 18 year old self uh, from an advice standpoint? But I think the don't give up is probably the best you can, you can give to 18 year old drew working 40 hours at McDonald's and living with a sister. I would give 18 year old drew one more piece of advice. And that is, uh, you know, be a better son. You know what I mean? And I think that, that I see that a lot right now with our age group is that maybe people have problems with their uh, relationship with their parents and stuff like that. And just know that, you know, you're not going to change your parents. They're going to be who they are forever. They're not going to change. The only thing you can do is be the better son, daughter, whatever, you know what I mean? Stepson, stepdaughter, you have to be the change. You can't, you can't expect them at their forties to 60 years old to change who they are because they're not going to, you have to make it better if you actually want it to be a better situation. Wow. That's powerful. That's, I think we can all take that piece of information and internalize it. Um, and just like I said, be better. Uh, wow. Drew, I've really enjoyed our conversation. 
It's been fun. This was, uh, this was powerful. And I challenge anybody to listen to this and not get something out of it. Um, you know, if you've got questions, concerns, comments, ideas for people to interview, Millennial Manhood, CIP at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook, Millennial Manhood, at MMCIP, on Twitter. Um, reach out to us. Feel free. And like I said, Drew, thank you for coming by. Thank you, man. And uh, in my glorious studio of an apartment. And we'll uh, we'll talk to you guys soon.